So now we are joined by Giants reporter Paul Dettino. He works for the MSG Network and the Giants website. I'm also joined by my friend Jordan Levine, who also is an editor at All New York Sports. He also writes some Giants articles along with myself. How are you guys doing today? Good to talk to you. Good to be here. Just thankful for the opportunity. Okay, so question one. This happened on Wednesday. The Giants traded for Isaac Yadom. He's former third-round pick from the Denver Broncos. And with him flying onto the roster right now, it seems like he's already a automatic, you know, already on the 53-man. And does that impact somebody's spot like Brandon Williams and maybe Chris Williamson? And same thing with the Logan Ryan thing too, because Logan Ryan can play safety, and that might uh, move Chris Williamson onto the practice squad. What are your thoughts, Paul? Well, I would say, uh, based on what the Giants have already said, that would be Judge and Gettleman. It does sound like Ryan is going to take this Xavier McKinney spot, at least for the first half of the season. So McKinney will be on the 53. Then they'll IR him after the 53, which allows them to bring him back after he's healthy. But in terms of the player deployment situation, they made it pretty clear that Ryan is going to play the McKinney role at the beginning of the year. So I'm going to consider Ryan more of a safety. Uh, Yadam, to me, he's, he's a boundary corner. He's played very little slot in this league. He's been there. He's dabbled in it. But he is a boundary corner. A guy who was at Boston College was a press man corner. That's why he was drafted in the third round by the Broncos, because he showed some ability and he projected to the next level as a guy who was going to be able to play outside. He has got some height to him, got some physical tools. The problem is he gets to Denver and they decide they're going to play a zone scheme. Now, you, you guys, I'm sure you understand this. If you have one player who is better at one style of scheme, and then you tell him, all right, we're going to play a totally different style of scheme that maybe you're not real good at. Is it any wonder that maybe he didn't live up to their expectations? This happened in Pittsburgh with Ross Cockrell, who was a press man corner, was, was forced to play a zone scheme in Pittsburgh, didn't work out so well. The Giants got him in a trade for a seventh-round pick. He plays well for them for the one year he was in the press man scheme, gets a rich contract to go to the Carolina Panthers. And then as we subsequently understand, you know, he came back to visit with the Giants, but they couldn't reach a deal. I see Yadam potentially being a similar kind of player who will have more success because of the Giants press man scheme, which is much more, um, uh, shall I say, uh, doable for him because that's where his talents lie. So, yes, I do think he's on the 53. And I don't think guys like Williamson, and you're mentioning from the back end, I don't think you know they have much of a chance to compete with a guy who's a veteran and has the kind of skills that will fit their scheme. And you could kind of sort of compare it to the way the – Giants used DeAndre Baker last year because everybody knows in college that at Georgia DeAndre Baker worked better in press well also against the Bills and multiple other games James Betcher had him playing nine yards off the ball and then he was mixed up in a bad situation there with all the struggles he had and he even said at the beginning actually middle of the season you know this scheme I still don't get it it's still a little complicated to me I will go back to Corey Webster. That's how many years I will go back and tell you that he had the same problem. He came out of LSU. He was a press man corner. Giants take him in the second round. They bring him in, and they're not playing that. They're playing off coverage, and they're playing zones. And he's all confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. They're asking him to do stuff and to play a style of ball that he did not excel in in college. So why do you draft the guy if he's not going to be asked to do what he does well? And then, of course, Spagnolo comes in, and uh, uh, they were able to, besides him overcoming injuries, use Webster the way he was supposed to be used coming out of college. And what happened? Corey Webster was a major factor for the Giants during that Super Bowl run in uh, 2007. Jordan, I'll let you uh, handle the next question, number three. Jordan, your mic's off. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, Paul, I just wanted to uh, kind of uh, backtrack a little to the Logan Ryan thing you said before. You mentioned uh, you think that he's going to be starting at the free safety position, at least until McKinney's able to return. So I was just curious, where does that really leave uh, Julian Love? 
and leaves him as part of a three-safety package. And I have a feeling that the Giants will employ a lot of three-safety looks during the course of the season. Look, Patrick Graham is going to do what I consider, I call it the chameleon defense, which basically means it's a matchup defense that will change every week. It could change every half. It could change every quarter. It could change every series. That's what Bill Belichick does, okay? And he and Judge Graham, that is, are both heavily influenced by Belichick. So I, what I like to say is I created a new, a new word. My fellow broadcasters love it. I'm trying to copyright it. Belichickian style. Uh, basically, it's a chameleon defense. And I think chameleon defenses work very well with a guy who is either some some old folks, and again, I'm, I'm dating myself, uh, guys will call him a rover or they'll call him a joker. And that is a guy who is a pseudo-hybrid linebacker say, uh, safety who could very easily be employed, deployed in coverage schemes, or he could very easily be a box guy, or there are even times when you can send him on a blitz. They, they, you know, there are, there are different terms you can use for that guy. So kind of similar to like the whole uh, money backer idea. Right. Money backer is the newer term. Uh-huh. You know, guys, I'm, I'm a hell of a lot older than you. I got socks older than you. Trust me. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I go, I go back to different terminology, but the money backer. Yes, you're absolutely right. That is the same style. People, the younger people will know what the money backer is. And so I think the giants are in a position where they believe that they can use Ryan as a money backer. They can use Peppers as a money backer. Julian Love, I don't see necessarily playing a lot of box safety, but he can play free safety, and he can also play some slot. And if you remember, that's what um, the Giants did when they had uh, Antrell Roll. Uh-huh. Antrell Roll was a, was, a, was a deep safety, but then he also played some box. Uh, Love won't do that. But then Roll, if you remember, they had injuries. And the last month of, of, of his season here, uh, before he wound up, you know, uh, then leaving the Giants, he was playing a lot of slot. And so they've got a real flexibility with that three-safety package. So I don't think it necessarily hurts Love very much that Ryan is on the Giants. And let's be clear, that signature has not hit the dotted line yet. It could be minutes. It could be hours. Who knows? Maybe things fall apart. But we expect Love uh, Ryan to be here. Alex, you want to do this one? Sure, why not? So it looks like right now, even though Matt Pert has had a hell of a camp, that Cameron Fleming is going to be the starting right tackle. What will it take for Pert to be in there? Will it take for him to be ready, or will it take for Fleming to have a really bad or poor start to the season? Knowing you're facing a lot of good edge rushers in the first couple of games, and we saw he got beat a couple of times by Lorenzo Carter and a couple of other edge rushers in camp, and even in the scrimmages as well. Yeah, I firmly believe in the old mantra that the best five must start. And given the fact that uh, Joe Judge uh, knows Cameron Fleming from his days in New England, and as he has said himself, Fleming has started many games, important games, that the Patriots won over the years. Uh, You know that he's got confidence in him, and he believes in his experience being an edge. So it's Fleming's job, in my opinion, right now to lose – but uh, Matt Pert has certainly come along a lot quicker during his rookie camp than I think most of us expected. Uh, the word on him when he was drafted is that he'll be a redshirt pro and that don't think of him as having to play in his rookie season. This will be a learning experience. He's really raw. You know, UConn, not the highest level of Division One competition. He's going to have to get stronger. That's a fact. And then he's going to have to understand the wily tricks of the position and that next year he'll be in line to be the starter. But I will tell you, Pert had a really nice training camp. He does need to get stronger. He certainly does need to learn the magician's bag of tricks. Those things are for sure. Is it possible that sometime before the end of this season, uh, for whatever the circumstances are, he could make a challenge to be the starter. I'm not so sure that that that's going to happen, but if it does, it won't floor me out of my shoes. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, the next thing I wanted to ask is, obviously, uh, 
uh, besides for like the marquee guys on this team, like the Saquon Barkley's, the Daniel Jones, the guys that are in the spotlight, who would you say has had the most hype and the most has been making the most noise in training camp amongst through throughout the facility and who's who's been talked about the most? Well, I think the 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 nature of that question would really lend itself to which newcomer has made the biggest noise. I think that's probably the question you're trying to ask because I don't think there's any doubt that Andrew Thomas has really impressed people with his power and his size. And even if technically he doesn't do something right on a given play because of his power and his strength, he can literally blow two people off the line of scrimmage, even if he did everything wrong. That's, that's how imposing he can be. And so a lot of the people around the facility, especially the people on the staff, are incredibly impressed with Thomas. The other guy who is really, you know, given a lot of people's jaws to drop would be Darnay Holmes, the fourth-round corner out of UCLA, who I really think has been the, um, I guess, most highlight-hungry uh, player of training camp. He's gotten his hands on more pass deflections than, than any player did during the summer session. He had more interceptions than any player did during the summer session. He's constantly blanketing in coverage. I, I can't say enough about this kid. I am I am overly impressed. I think he is one of those guys, you just put him out there on the field and let him go. And that's going to be the case from week one. He's that pro ready. So impressed with Darnay Holmes. And then I think of the holdovers. If you want to ask me about those guys who has made the most noise of the holdovers, I think that Lorenzo Carter at linebacker really seems like, you know, he's had a terrific camp and looks primed now that he's finally being used properly by a defensive coordinator to have a breakout season. And the other guy would be Leonard Williams who has really, really, really tested that offensive line on a day-in and day-out basis. Uh, those would be the two veterans who I would say have, have really, really made people kind of salivate. That's definitely uh, some encouraging uh, words to hear, especially about uh, Darnay Holmes um, with everything, you know, that's going on in the secondary right now, whether it be injuries or some other stuff. But it's definitely encouraging to hear that. Yeah, well, you know, Holmes Holmes had a terrific junior season with the Bruins and, you know, was going to be considered probably a first or second round pick. But then in his last season, well, I, I'm forgetting the classes now, but I will tell you two years ago that was because then last season he sprains his ankle. And as you probably know, UCLA's defense was not very good. They did not have a lot of talent. And they had no choice but to put him in a lot of man-to-man -man coverage. And they had no pass rush. And it was just – it was pretty ugly out there. And they asked him to do stuff, you know, far beyond what he should have been asked to do. And he did his best. But it was, it was a bit of an inconsistent and down season for him. But that wasn't so much his fault. It was about the circumstances he was involved in. So what happens now? They're getting to the end of the season. And the, um, the director of the Senior Bowl gets, gets told, uh, oh, uh, could you guys, this is the NFL teams now, they're like, can you guys uh, bring um, Darnay Holmes to the Senior Bowl? And they're like, well, what are you talking about? You know, he didn't have such a great year. Okay, yeah, but he had a sprained ankle, and it was clear that that defense was in shambles. Look at his tape from the year before, 2018. This guy is a blue-chip prospect. Could you bring him to the Senior Bowl? We really want to get a good look at him. So the Senior Bowl officials acquiesce. They bring him to the Senior Bowl. And the NFL people at that point said, okay, let him play in the slot because we think that's where he's going to be a better fit. Has a great week at the Senior Bowl. And I think a lot of teams were hoping that they were going to kind of sneakily get him as a sleeper pick sometime late, you know, during the draft. Well, the Giants were really smart because on the third day of the draft, you know, the fourth round is the first round of that third day. They didn't want to wait any longer for a sleeper. They immediately scapped him up because they know what they saw, and they based it off of his 2018 tape. 
this this kid can play. On a different look, going back to Matt Pert question, and we know that he's eventually going to be in the future. Going on Shane Lemieux now, other than maybe an injury or someone playing really, really bad, like maybe Nick Gates at center instead, but though they have John Halapio and Spencer Pulley now, those two competing at it. In my looks, it looks like Halapio is going to stay and Pulley is going to get cut, but that's another whole different topic. Let's just say, I don't know, Kevin Zeitler gets hurt. But other than that situation, is Shane Lemieux just going to be doing special teams dirty duties or being inactive this season? Yeah, it's, to me, Shane Lemieux was definitely a right shirt candidate. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, if he learns his craft and and becomes a, a stalwart backup, you know, a guy who they feel comfortable with, hey, if we need to throw you in there in an emergency, that'd be great. But you know what? Let's just be patient. Let's just take your time. Because the truth of the matter is he has all the skills to be a very, very good NFL guard. There is no question about that. I've talked to too many people who saw him play at Oregon, who scouted him, and told me, yeah, there, there's not much doubt about that. This guy's a legit NFL guard. Uh, and that's great. But the Giants right now have two guys to do that. They have Hernandez, and they got Zeitler. Hernandez isn't going anywhere for a long time. And Zeitler, well, you know, he's nearing a decade in the league. So who's to say, you know, how long he may or may not play? But, you know, there's nothing wrong with having Lemieux waiting in the wings, even if it takes a year or two before potentially, you know, he may be inserted into the lineup. He he's he is a real, real feisty, bulldog, physical, gritty, rough and tough, smash mouth kind of player. He's 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 a Richie Soiber type, if you guys are old enough to remember Richie. Sure, and sure. and yeah, they're, they're, the Giants fans are gonna love Shane Lemieux when he finally gets into the lineup. Um, yeah, so another question I just wanted to ask was, obviously a lot has changed in the past year, but in those first couple games of last season, um, Ryan Connolly looked very, very encouraging, and he played very well. I know he had the injury, the ACL, and uh, it's a whole new defense, new personnel, everything, but where do you think he fits in this year, and do you expect good things out of Ryan Connolly? Yeah, it's hard not to expect good things out of him as long as the injury factor is okay. We know that the Giants uh, basically kind of uh, went slowly with him during the training camp. He had a number of practices where, where they, they gave him a rest and said, don't, don't practice, go on the bikes, just relax. Coming back from ACL surgery is a very, very big deal. Usually, as they will tell you, the, the common thought in the National Football League is a player who comes off ACL surgery does not regain his maximum form until two years out. So he's only a year out. So, you know, where is he? He won't say. The coaches won't say. I think it's, you know, obviously based on pure logic and historical evidence, he's not 100%. Is he 90? Is he 85? I, I, I don't know. I don't know because we haven't seen any preseason games to be able to see him at full speed. All we've seen are these practices and these pseudo scrimmages. You know, fellas, I've, I've said this many times. If you've ever heard any of the stuff I've done on WFAN or Giants.com, I am the biggest fan of preseason football. I know not too many people are, but I love it because it gives me a real opportunity, much like the coaches and the GMs and the scouts, to evaluate where are these guys it's not just your prospects. It's not just your backups, but it's your guys who are coming back from injury. You need to know what you can expect to get from them. And there's no way to really know how far back Ryan Connolly is because he wasn't able to play in a preseason game. So, you know, is he on, is he on the 53? I'd be shocked if he's not. He's, he's taken enough of snaps in practice and moving around well enough that I believe he'll be on the 53 and I believe he'll be part of that interior linebacker rotation. But, you know, is he going to be the starter that he was ticketed for when he originally got hurt? I, I can't answer that right now because I just don't know the status of his knee. Hopefully he gets to a healthy season, plays well enough in a rotation 
And if next year he challenges for a starting job because he's all the way back, well, that's perfectly acceptable too, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Before, I mean, I was going to bring up possibly question about the quarterbacks, and I can still do that. But since we're talking about the linebacker position and David Mayo has gone down for a couple of weeks, how impressive has Devontae Downs been and somebody that I really didn't think was going to make it out of camp now could be a guy for the 53-man roster, and then also interceding in that question, Josiah Tawafa as well. Is he going to be one of those guys, meaning both of them too, are they going to be that Michael Thomas, Antonio Hamilton on special teams, Sean Chandler also interceding as well, because both of those guys are now on the team, and Cody Core, well, he's on the he's on IR. He has an Achilles tear. Well, I think that Johnny Holton, the receiver that they just picked up off of uh, the free agent heap, he, to me, is the new Cody Core a wide receiver by trade who has not had a very accomplished NFL resume as a receiver, but who has an accomplished NFL resume as a gunner. Look back to his rookie season of 2014 with the Raiders. He had 11 tackles on special teams, which was tied for sixth most in the NFL. And oh, by the way, two of the guys ahead of him in the top five were Michael Thomas and Nate Ebner. How's that for a coincidence? But in any event, I think that Holton was brought in to be the new Cody Core. Uh, Ebner was obviously brought in to be the new Michael Thomas. Now, um, you mentioned as far as uh, uh, Downs. Downs is interesting. Special teams guy and a practice squad guy, Vikings, and then he comes to the Giants last year. Uh, they have worked him at a bunch of different positions over the course of training camp. Uh, he would be another guy, I suppose, that I should have mentioned earlier when you talk about guys who have, you know, kind of come to the forefront and, and, and asserted themselves. I wouldn't have thought going into the summer that Devontae Downs would have been a guy who had a really strong shot at the 53. I would have thought he's a bubble guy who's going to have to make it on special teams. Right now, I'm inclined to believe he's part of that linebacker rotation especially with Mayo going down to the uh, knee surgery. Um, so, yeah, Devontae Downs definitely, in my mind, has, has put himself into that rotation to earn snaps. I, I, Tawatha, an important special teams guy last year, but I think that's the only way he makes the team, is if they decide they need to reserve a spot on specials uh, on the 53. Now, they're already doing that with Nate Ebner. And they're probably going to have to do it for Johnny Holton. I don't see either one of those players giving you a lot from scrimmage. So do they have a third guy who basically is only special teams and doesn't take any snaps during the game? Boy, that's a that's a very tall order to swallow. I, I don't see that happening, but that would be just me. Uh, if somebody else wanted to think differently, certainly if Joe Judge wanted to, he's entitled to. I don't think most people would see it that way. Um, so this next one is less about the roster and more about Joe Judge and the culture that he's brought to the team. I just wanted to ask from, I don't know how close of a look you've gone, but from what you've seen, what is the relationship like between Joe Judge and the players and what kind of respect do you think that he's already earned in the short amount of time? Obviously, training camp was very different than most years. Yeah, I think I probably would just be best to echo the comments of uh, of team president John Mara, who, who said that you can see the attention to detail. You can see the intensity. You can see the teaching that is going on, not just from Joe Judge, but for every member of the coaching staff. Those three things just stick out like a sore thumb. It, it's, look, Fellas, not enough time or attention is paid to the assisting coaches in the National Football League. Many, many head coaches will tell you that it was their staff that really helped them to succeed to the upper levels of the game. Bill Parcells, when he went into the Hall of Fame, made sure to talk about his staffs because during his tenure in those two Super Bowl wins, he had guys on, on the sideline with him that were just aces, and they were every bit as much of a reason for his success as the players were. Same with Tom Coughlin. He had an outstanding staff, 
And, and you know, well, part of being a great head coach is knowing how to pick a great staff and then allowing them to work within the framework of what you want them to do. Joe Judge has picked a sensational coaching staff, and they are all on the same page. And, and they're all teachers. They're all energetic. They're all intense. They all pay attention to detail. And the players to this point seem to understand that, hey, you know what? This is probably a good way to, to, to win some games. You know, this staff is pretty special. It's pretty elite. And maybe if we listen to these guys, maybe we got a chance to do some good things. And I think the players at the moment are buying in. Now, the question becomes, what happens if you stumble out of the blocks and you're struggling into October? Well, now you have to worry about the emotions possibly getting in the way of the players' smarts because their smarts are telling them, listen to this coaching staff. These guys know how to win. They've got a collection of jewelry from here to, to, to the uh, you know, Atlantic Ocean you know, between national championships in college and NFL Super Bowl rings. This staff is just loaded with a boatload of, of championship rings. So I think mentally these guys are all buying in right now because they all want some of that jewelry. But the question becomes, what happens if things don't go well? Uh, that's the true test. Will the players hold the fort and maintain the line and continue to buy in and believe in the coaches, even if the results don't come as quickly as you would like them to come? That's the big question that nobody can answer right now. Going on to more of the quarterbacks, everybody from Joe Judge and a lot of a couple other reporters and everybody's saying, you know, Colt McCoy, he's had a great campus backup quarterback. Now, he obviously seems like the backup at this point, Daniel Jones being the starter. Now, you look at Alex Tanney, who's been a mainstay since 2018 when Pat Shermer was here, and you have Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush's advantage is that he's probably he's played as many games as Alex Tanney has, and that's being one, but Tanney played more, obviously. But Cooper Rush also knows the offense. Who gets the edge at, for QB3? Well, first of all, are you sure they're going to keep three? I mean... I'm not sure. I think they will, but... You know, one of our other Giants.com Big Blue Kickoff Live co-hosts, John Schmelk, he's banking on them keeping two and then putting Tanny and Rush both on the practice squad. I'm not sure. Lance Meadow and myself, we both said we think they're keeping three. I would keep Cooper Rush as number three for, for the following reason. First of all, Colt McCoy has had a very good camp. He certainly has the most experience in terms of NFL starts than any of the quarterbacks in the room. So he does need to be number two. I think you would agree, right? Very much so. Okay. Okay. Why do you keep Cooper Rush as number three? The reason for Cooper Rush as number three is because the whole deal with, with Jason Garrett and being with the Cowboys for two years and understanding the system, well, guess what? Your practice squad quarterback, if you're going to put Tanny on the practice squad, fine. He can be in the room during the week. He can be around practice. He can help. He can do whatever he needs to do to assist. That's fine. But practice squad quarterbacks cannot be on the sideline or on the bench during a game. Don't you think that that's where Cooper Rush might provide the most value? 100%. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. I think that Cooper Rush can provide the most value to the Giants and Daniel Jones while he's on the bench, sitting there in between series, listening to the conversations between Garrett and Jones and interjecting whatever he can to make sure that they understand each other. So I think Cooper Rush has to be number three. Yeah, he'll definitely be helpful, especially with a second-year quarterback in a new system. I think that's – I never looked at it that way. To, to me, that's the only way to justify him as the number three. Right. And, and and I think it's a strong reason. But if they decide to go with two, I, I look, it means they desperately needed another position to, to add depth. So if they do that, 
I wouldn't freak out because that means Rush is going to go practice squad because I don't think anybody's going to claim him. Doesn't really seem so. Um, while we're still talking about quarterbacks, um, I just wanted to ask, obviously there's been a good deal of hype around Daniel Jones. Obviously they mentioned that he, uh, it's come out that he put on weight, a lot of muscle. What have you noticed, if anything, what's the biggest improvement in his game from last year to this going into this season? Uh, it's probably his on the field demeanor. He just looks more confident, more assertive, his body language. Uh, I, I think that would be for me, that's from the visual that we've seen at practice. You know, he's not a rookie anymore, guys. <laughs> you know, the, the green sheen has been scraped off. This is year number two. And so, you know, he is technically now a veteran. And all veterans walk, walk on the field with a little more swagger, with a little more assuredness. And I think that's the biggest difference that we can see you know, from, from watching from the sidelines. Again, no preseason games, guys. I, I, you know, we may talk about this another four or five times before you're done with this podcast. It's, it's crippling not to have had those games. I mean, I'm sure you probably were as eager to see Daniel Jones face opponents as I was because we'd love to see where does he stand? How much has he progressed? It's very, very difficult to see that during practice in these scrimmages. It's, 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 it doesn't tell you a whole lot. It really doesn't. But you can see that the way he conducts himself, he certainly understands it's his team. He's the man at the controls. And as a result, he has to carry his shoulders a little bit higher. And he's got he's to gotta make sure that people know, hey, I'm the guy now. I know it's on me. I can carry this weight. And uh, let's go. Uh, I, so I think he's going to be okay, but uh, I'd feel better if I had a chance to see some games. Going along the stuff we've been talking about in no preseason games, camp practices and the pseudo scrimmages are not games as much as they try to make it games. Now, everybody, broadcasting, sportscasters, podcasters have been saying, you know, is de the defense the NFL defenses are likely to be behind the offenses. It's going to be like an offensive shootout for a lot of the games that are happening next Sunday and the Sundays beyond. Now, does the emergence of Lorenzo Carter, Darnay Holmes, and the signing of Logan Ryan possibly alter that theory? Well, I'm not going to duck the question, but in a way I am because the answer really is nobody has any idea of what Patrick Graham is going to cook up. His defensive scheme, as he says, could be a 4-3, could be a 3-4, could be a 2-5, could be a 1-6. You know, in terms of the fronts and the looks, uh, they they truly are going to run a Belichickian style of defense. So here's the thing. I don't think execution in the National Football League is going to be very good in September. Usually, it's not great anyway. And that's with preseason games. Now, the league has not had any preseason games, which leads me to believe the execution will even be at a lower level and may even last until October. So what are you, what are you going to bank on? Well, one of the ways that you can potentially help yourself as a team is to out-scheme the other guys because there's going to be – a lot of trepidation and a lot of sloppiness on both sides of the ball. But if your team really understands the confusing and complex scheme that you're going to throw at the other guys, that is going, going to throw off their rhythm even further and create more sloppiness on the opponent's side of the ball. So I guess what I'm saying to you is, yes, I understand that the Giants' defense is the weaker link of the three units. I'm not disputing that in any way, shape, or form. We all know that. It's a fact. Have they improved the talent on defense? Yes, they have. Have they improved the coaching staff on defense? That's a big yes with a capital Y-E-S. Is that enough? Is that enough to make a significant difference, especially out of the gate against offenses that are likely to be out of sync and out of rhythm. 
Boy, that's a million-dollar question, fellas. I, I don't know that I know the answer to that. I don't know that the Giants know the answer to that. I know what they hope. I know what Patrick Graham's idea is. Yeah, this is going to work, and we're going to throw a lot of stuff at people that they have they have not seen and have no idea about. But, uh, you know, that remains to be seen because, number one, they've got to execute it first, and then, number two, the other side has got to be confused by it. So you need two things to happen for the Giants' defense to succeed out of the gate. Okay, so basically uh, I just wanted to know uh, because – there's obviously so many different schemes in the Patrick Graham defense, and he can do so many different things. I just wanted to ask you your opinion on who you think the two main guys would be uh, at the edge rush position. I know there's a ton of talent that we have there, whether it's veterans that we added or, or younger guys that we have from the past couple of years, mid-round picks. You know, I don't know that it's, it's as significant as you identify – you know, who gets the sacks? I mean, we all know that going in, the Giants don't have a bona fide 15 or 16 sack guy who's going to burst across the line of scrimmage. You got Fackrell and you got Golden, each of whom has had double-digit sacks on the league before. Fackrell did it once. Golden did it twice. But the Giants don't have what I call a Batman pass rusher, which is a guaranteed all-pro dominant big-time sack guy on their team. They've got Robbins. Fackle's a Robin, and and Golden is a Robin, okay? They don't have a Batman. So what you do in that case is you go back to Joe Judge and Patrick Graham, and you think about, well, where'd they come from? They came from the Patriots scheme where Bill Belichick, in many of his years when the Patriots were contending or even champions, were not amongst the sack leaders in the league. In fact, in some of those years, they were pretty low in sacks. And so... You say to yourself, all right, how, how did that equate? What was the deal there? And then you realize it was about confusion. It was about pressures. It was about quarterback hits. And so I ask you this. If you had a chance to sack a quarterback for an eight-yard loss or a chance to pressure him and hurry him into an interception, which play would you rather have as a defense? Probably have the second one because, again, it's not all about sex and everybody's talking about analytics these days. Again, it's not all about sex. Just uh, two years ago when James Betcher entered uh, the Giants organization, the Giants were 30th in sacks and I'm pretty sure they were tied for the Patriots in that same category but what did the Patriots do that year they had a good team and they went to the, went to the Super Bowl and they won the game and they had a good defense that game because the final score was something like 13-3 to well, see, you understand what I'm talking about then. Yeah, and, and And that's what the Giants want to be able to do. They want to mimic the Patriots' philosophy. Fellas, I, I say this a lot, but it's true. There's more than one way to Grandma's house. Or if you prefer, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You can throw an offense off and, and, and dominate them and control the game defensively in a, in a couple of different ways. And one of them is through confusion and, and harassing that quarterback. One of them is by just having, you know, three sacks a game and maybe a strip a game. I get that. One of them is you get a ton of turnovers. That's another way. If you have a huge turnover ratio, that's the easiest way to really flip your one-loss record is to have a tremendous plus-minus turnover ratio. We all know that. But the point is, Belichick in particular proved that you don't have to be amongst the sack leaders to be a contending team or a successful defense. You've said that so perfectly earlier with your comment. And I applaud you for seeing that because there are so many people who don't get that and don't seem to understand it. They just want the sacks. So I would say this. It doesn't matter where the sacks come from on the Giants roster. What matters is that they get pressure and hits on the quarterback to effectively throw those offenses out of sync. That's really the goal. Now, don't get me wrong. If this Giants team could bring Lawrence Taylor out of retirement and he could go in there and rack up 20 sacks, 
uh, yeah, that would be the preferred method. Uh, you know, Belichick had Leonard Marshall. Belichick had Lawrence Taylor. Belichick had uh, George Martin. I get it. If you got those guys, you push the pedal to the metal and you just let them go. That's that's pretty easy. Okay? But short of having those guys, now you have to be cerebral about it. And you have to mentally understand, okay, well, what are some of the other ways to grandma's house that we could take to get to the cookie jar? And and this appears to be, again, the Belichickian style of defense appears to be the way that they're going to go. And that's no surprise given where Judge and Graham have come from. And I think the Giants have built their defense with that style in mind. They've tried to enhance the youth and the speed in their back seven so that they could employ that type of defense. Now on to a yeah. different quote. Uh, you go ahead. Yeah, we're just going to build on that because, uh, Paul, you know, I actually uh, I've covered that topic of the Belichickian style defense. Um, and actually, I just wanted to ask also because, you know, it's they build it kind of from the back front, as I've seen. But uh, I also did notice that in the, those past years when the Patriots were so successful, um, they did always kind of have like a marquee cornerback in there, whether it's Darrell Revis, Malcolm Butler, or Stephon Gilmore last year when they were the number one defense. But is basically, are the Giants hoping that Bradbury can be that anchor for the back seven? No question. That is exactly the reason that they signed him to a big contract because they're hoping that he can be the lockdown corner in the back seven that will play the press man coverage that can take away that side of the field. And Bradbury, I, I don't think he's an all pro, but I do think he's an upper echelon man to man corner and his track record. Of course, you know, it's been yeah. well documented his track record last year with the Panthers against a division that had some very potent receivers and, and some very strong passing games was very, very impressive. And so the Giants basically want to say, all right, you know, he doesn't have to be an all-pro out there. We just need him to effectively, effectively inhibit offenses from looking to that side of the field. He doesn't have to be a Deion Sanders all-pro Hall of Fame lockdown that they'll never look or throw there. He just has to inhibit them enough that you'll be able to leave him out there on an island while the rest of the defense is can can run Graham's schemes and try to confuse the quarterback. Remember, if you can run enough of confusion at a quarterback and at that offensive line so that they hesitate, they delay in maybe throwing that pass to their big-time receiver, well, that may be all the time that you need to get that sack or that fumble-causing strip or maybe he looks off that number one target and looks to the number two guy and decides, you know what, I don't have enough time to wait for him to get open. I'm going to hit the check down guy. You know, there's so many ways you can impact the defense. So, yeah, they and I understand it because if Bradbury can do what they want him to do, it would effectively play into their hands and really help out everybody on the rest of that side of the ball. Uh -huh. Alex, you got anything? Yeah, uh, real quick. Uh, what was I going to say? For the Giants wide receiver position, you already got your top three. You got Tate, you got Shepard, you got Slayton. Now, you said mentioned earlier, and I sort of agree with it, Johnny Holton is going to be that Cody Core guy they keep on the roster just for special teams uses. Benjamin Victor, Austin Mack, all the other guys competing. Who do you really see making the wide receiver four and five positions me it's somebody like Corey coleman or david sills or alex bachman yeah i see coleman as the four i uh, he looks terrific you know he's another guy now you talk about a year removed from major knee surgery but i will say uh the way he has run around and the way he has caught the ball and uh, it's just been impressive fellas i i, I have to be honest I, I probably should have mentioned him as the premier bounce back player of training camp because you consider from where he's come from, you know, major knee surgery and in a year to show the kind of quicks and speed and fluidity 
that he has shown out there in the open field and even getting into open spaces during the course of training camp, you know, that's, again, that's not the, the MO, you know, the, the, the usual MO is that second year after major surgery like that. Here it is, year one, Corey Coleman looks like he's got mostly all of that stuff back. So I'm with you on Corey Coleman. I think he is receiver number four. I, I don't think there's much doubt in my mind about that. Where do you go for receiver number five? It's the deepest position of training camp. I could make a case to keep 10 receivers. Really, I mean that. There, there are another five guys behind whoever I would name at number five. Well, let's say at least nine. At least nine or ten. I'd say at least nine, maybe as many as ten receivers who are in training camp who all deserve an opportunity to play in the National Football League. Uh, Sills, Mack. Dylan, Victor, uh, Board, and of course Bachman. I mean, you know, seriously, it's it's ridiculous. They all performed extremely well during training camp, and I am convinced that all of them deserve a chance to be on somebody's fifty-three, if not the Giants. So, in answer to your question, who is it going to be? Uh, I decided that if Holton's going to be kept for special teams. Well, then, you know, he's number five because that'll be his role, the Cody core role. So then who is number six? And that guy, in reality, is more of a receiver than he is a special teams guy. I decided when I did the, the, the BBKL show and we broke it down, I wound up picking Austin Mack. And the reason is because uh, I think he has the greatest chance of getting claimed if they try to pass him through waivers and sneak him onto the practice squad. Austin Mack is a physical specimen. He's got a wingspan in the 90 percentile of wide receivers coming out in the draft. Uh, he is strong. He's tough. He's gritty. He fights for the ball. He makes acrobatic catches. He can play all three receiver spots, although he's much more of a boundary receiver uh, than he is a slot receiver. And obviously, coming from a program like Ohio State, you know, he's got a lot of polish on him. He's a terrific route runner. I am a big Austin Mack fan. Right after the draft, every year, I pick an undrafted rookie free agent that the Giants have brought in, and I say, he is my number one dark horse of this class to make the team. I picked Austin Mack in April. I'm still picking Austin Mack today. Very viable candidate, definitely. I just fear, I fear, I fear, I honestly fear that if they wave him, somebody is going to pick him up. I don't think he would sneak through. I, I, I could honestly see that, knowing him. And everybody was you know, talking about the other wide receivers as well. Everybody also talked about the three coming into training camp and even virtual minicamp, the, the uh, three stooges, as a lot of people refer them to, Victor, Dylan, and Austin Mack, two of them from Ohio State and one from LSU. And I've watched a little bit of inside training camp and look from training camp and all those other shows on Giants.com and MSG. Derek Dillon's really good on those out routes, some of those quick routes. He's got a lot of speed. There's another one I would probably say could make the practice squad. Oh, I, again, I think all these guys could make a legitimate claim to be on the 53 for, for, for an NFL club. So... You know, I'm going to be very sad to see any of these guys get plucked and have to leave the facility. I'd like to see all of them if they don't make the 53. Any of the guys, I'd like to see them all come back on the practice squad. That's how strongly I feel about their capabilities. I will tell you, of all those guys that we talked about on the back end, Dylan would be the lowest guy for me. He would be the one that I would be least upset if he was taken by another team. And the reason is simple. I think he is a slot guy in the NFL and only a slot guy. I don't think he can play boundary receiver, either the flanker or the split end. I question his, his physical tools to be able to handle those two spots. I think he's exclusively a slot guy. And so because of that and because of his diminutive size, and the fact that when he was at LSU, he was simply a situational player. 
remember, you know, he was not he was not catching all their passes. He was not, you know, a regular huge part of their offense. He was a limited role player. I would say he'd be the guy I would I would least be upset about if he wound up getting away. But that's not to say he does not have pro talent, because I think he does. Yeah, Paul, uh, another – you mentioned uh, Austin Mack was one of your dark horse guys. So, for me, um, throughout training camp, I really liked uh, the undrafted running back out of Maryland, Javon Leak, but they recently uh, waived him, I think. Um, is that more just because they can only keep three guys at the running back position plus Penny to play fullback, or is it he just wasn't good enough? You know, that's a mystery. I, I don't think anybody has really been able to put their finger on why Javon Leak was waived. He had what I thought to the eye test was a pretty good camp, and I saw him as a very strong practice squad candidate. Now, let me make it clear. If it were me, uh, and I have, I have no bones saying this, I would keep Lewis and Goldman, and I would simply go with three backs and then Elijah Penny as the fullback for my fourth. I would not keep another running back on the 53, which meant that whoever that last guy was going to be, he would be ticketed for the practice squad. So that's where I would have put Leak. For whatever reason, and I, I really believe that the reason is, they probably were just thrilled when Feaster became available. Uh, they must have had a really good scouting report and grade on him so that when he was set free uh, and was on the, the, the wire, they must have decided, oh, wait a minute. You know, we had a really good report on him. We liked him a, an awful lot. So we're just going to change him out for, for Leak. That would be my guess because that spot is going to wind up being a practice squad running back anyway. So I don't think it's so much that Leak did anything wrong because he had a good camp. I think they probably just had some really good college intel and a really good college scouting report on Feaster and figured, well, since that's a practice squad slot anyway, in all honesty, uh, let's just go get the guy we had a better report on. That would be my guess. Paul, thanks for joining us. And we're going to hear a lot more from you, Giants.com, Giants WFAN. Hope you have a good time covering the Giants and we'll see what goes on this season. All right, fellas, uh, enjoy the season, be well, and uh, certainly we'll all look forward to 2021 when just maybe things will return back to normal again because we could all use it. With Thanks, the fans Paul, in the stands it. and at training camp.